Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. We worship together at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, both in person and online at youtube.com slash area10church. Kid-friendly programming is also available at the same time just down the street at 2810 at Community Gathering Place. We hope to see you at the Bird Theater soon. Now, on to this week's message. The longer you live, the more opportunities you have to disappoint people. Sad but true, right? You put more years on and there's just more ways that you've messed up and more things in your past that you go, "Mm, I probably shouldn't have done that. And I'd like to think that as we get older, we do less and less of that. And maybe that's true, but I think the reality for a lot of us is we still blow it and we still, you know, we, we, we say those things like, man, I've been doing this for 30 years, you think I would know better. And we still, we, ha- we still have those things where we blow it. We disappoint people. We, we, we mess up uh, in front of them, with them, to them. Um, we, we do some things that we shouldn't do. And this is true of really people you would think are evil, like psychopaths and sociopaths. But it's also true of like your sweet grandmother who you think did no wrong. She also has things that she's blown it in, in ways that she's messed up. And it's certainly true of you and me. We all have this list of, of things where we're just like, ah, I, I, I've, I've messed up. Now, I've talked about this before, but I want to make this distinction here. Um, I, I'm not just talking about mistakes. Mistakes are, whoops, I shouldn't have done that. That is different than a sin. A sin is, I willfully did that and I shouldn't have done it, right? So if you're planning on doing something wrong this Friday... That's not a mistake, right? That's on, it's on the calendar. That's called a sin. Now, there's maybe an overlap with mistakes and sins where you could be like, okay, sort of like squares and rectangles, like not all of one is the other and all that. I understand that. Like sometimes we make mistakes that are also sinful. But we, we all have a, 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 not a mistake problem, but a, a sin problem. We are sinners. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All meaning all of us. We've all done this. We've, we've blown it. We've, we've sinned. Now, what does it do when we know this? What, what good is it? Well, let's be honest. To, to think of ourselves as sinners who have messed up, um, it doesn't feel good. And that was true for you and I before I ever said the word sin this morning. There's this sense in us that we all have of man, I've blown it. Like, I've, I've messed some things up, and it, it hurts. And we will do lots of things to resolve that kind of pain. We will go to great lengths to try to make that feel better. And what are we actually searching for when we try to resolve the pain? Like, what are we looking for to make things right? Uh, there's a word for it. I think what we're actually all searching for is forgiveness. We want to be forgiven. If we've messed somebody up, What we really want more than anything is that person to come back to us and say, I know you did wrong, but I forgive you. And there's something about that that can clear our conscience and kind of lift and lighten our souls as we we all search and are longing for forgiveness. Again, I think that's true whether you're religious or an atheist or just anyone. We all have this sense of, I've blown it at some point and we want to be forgiven. And so today I want to look at a, a, a different side of Jesus as we've been following him around. We're in this series called This is the Way, and we're just walking with Jesus as he goes around the Sea of Galilee for, for some time in the book of Luke, 
Luke 4 through 8, we're going through this summer. And we're, we're, we're looking at different things he did. And, and so far, we've seen him do incredible things. He stood up in, in Nazareth, and he, and he started his ministry in that town. And he said, look, I'm, I'm here to proclaim good news for the poor and the outcast and the hurting. So he says that. And then, if you're paying attention, the stuff he does next is making that true. Like, he goes and, and casts a demon out of a guy that comes into the synagogue at Capernaum, which is really powerful. Then he goes to Peter's mother-in-law house, mother-in-law's house, and, or Peter's house where his mother-in-law is, and, and he rebukes the fever, so he heals her of a physical sickness. And then after that, we see uh, Jesus um, out, out on a boat, and, and, and he tells Peter to catch some fish, and Peter throws the net, and he catches like this miraculous amount of fish, and it's like a really powerful moment. And so you, you've already seen, as we're following Jesus around, you've seen Jesus show his power over the spiritual world and over demons. You've seen him show his power over uh, physical world, like sicknesses, and then you've seen him show his power over the natural world, like he can make fish get into a net if need be. And, and like you've seen this like incredible stuff stuff from Jesus so far, but we're going to see a different side where he offers the thing that we really want and the thing that we actually really need in our lives. Um, And and because all of those things are great that he's done so far, but there's still more in us and there's a sense that we've blown it and what we really need is forgiveness and he hasn't talked about that yet. So Luke chapter 5, I want to read two different accounts of, of sort of what happens next with Jesus. And I want us to see um, really his heart for people, and, 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 and that includes us as well. And then, and then I want us to see where forgiveness kind of comes into play in, in this account. So Luke 5, starting with verse 12, we'll put it up on the screen So read it to you. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. All right, so this guy comes to Jesus who has leprosy. Now, when we hear leprosy now, we think um, skin ailment, like your skin's falling off or there's like an infection of your skin. Um, And and if you're in medicine now and you've done any studying on it, the modern-day thing that we would call leprosy is called Hansen's disease. And that really is a thing about a a loss of sensitivity in the nerves and the skin. And so you could burn your hand and not feel it. So uh, consequently, you start developing a lot of problems when you don't have the sensitivity in your skin that you should. And it could be that that is being referred to as leprosy. But it also could be more of a wide variety of physical ailments that are, are very noticeable, open sores and kind of things that people might get over time there, skin conditions that they might have, rashes, stuff like that, where, where it could be just generally considered leprosy. And all of those things are a physical problem. You have a rash, you have sores, you have all of those kinds of things. But in, in that culture, it, it's more than just a physical problem. It's, it's, a, it's an emotional problem. It is a social problem. It's an economic problem. You cannot get hired to work if you're a leper, if you're that kind of outcast. You cannot go into the cities um, because people want to stay away from you. So you're, you're required to be literally an outcast, cast out of the cities and, and live out on, on the border kind of 
you know, out in the lonely places, out in, out in the hills. You're supposed to stay out there so you, no one will catch whatever it is that you have. So you're a social outcast. You're economically struggling. And, and on top of that, there was a religious pain that went with it. So for the Jews, uh, their worship is around the synagogue and the connection with God that they would do there in that part of, the, uh, part of Israel. And so if you're a leper, you're not allowed in there either. So you're cut off from the worshiping community of the, of the group of people worshiping together. You're cut off, in a sense, from, from God in that way, or it would feel that way. You are considered not only physically unclean, but like ceremonially monally unclean, which is not something we're real familiar with, but that's how it would be. So it is a, it is a very hard situation to be a leper in, in Jesus' day. And so this guy comes to Jesus, and it starts by saying while he was in one of the towns, so he's in one of these towns, the guy comes in, he's not allowed to do that. So you kind of have to picture a guy making a mad dash for it. Like he hears that Jesus can heal. This guy decides to break all the rules, run into the town, and, it, and basically it says he fell at Jesus' feet. You can imagine him just like running in, trying to get past everybody so they won't notice he's a leper, and sort of throw himself at, around Jesus' feet and say, basically, um, would, would, you, would you heal me? I just want to pause here for a second to say, I, I doubt anyone in this room has ever had leprosy. But I, I, I don't doubt that many people know exactly what it feels like to be an outcast, to be a social outcast, to, to not have the money other people have, to not have the stuff, to, to not fit in very well, to have different kind of viewpoints and opinions, to be awkward, to, be, to sit at that table in the lunchroom like with the, with the awkward kids. You know, like a lot of us know what it's like to, to be like that, to, to be an outcast. And so maybe read some of that into that as, as, you, as you see this. So notice what Jesus does when he heals the guy. Um, the guy falls at his feet, and it specifically says he reaches out his hand to heal him. He reaches out his hand. And I thought about that, and not every time Jesus heals someone does he touch him. In, in some cases, he's not even in the room when he heals someone. The centurion comes to him and says, oh, my daughter needs healing. And Jesus is like, go, she's been healed. Like, he can do healings from a distance. He doesn't need to touch people. Sometimes he can just rebuke a fever. He doesn't need to be in the same spot as someone. He can do it from a distance. He can do all that stuff. But this specifically says he touches him. And that's exactly the thing you don't do with someone with leprosy. And I think there's something deeper going on here. He's not just cleansing this guy of a physical ailment. He's, he's helping him socially and emotionally. He's reaching out and offering a touch, which can mean so much. And then he tells the guy, go to the priests and offer a sacrifice there as a, as a, as a sign to them, is what he says. And when I read that, I thought, that's really weird. Like, why tell the priest that this guy has been cleansed? If the guy immediately is healed of whatever skin disease, that should be, like, obvious, and that's probably enough. Like, why would he then need to go to the priest as if they had anything to do with it? Like, hey, go to the gatekeepers of society, go tell them that you're healed and whatever, and then and they'll, they'll see it too, right? That's what he tells them to do. Well, there's a reason for it. There, there's actually laws about darn near everything in Israel, and there's a law in Leviticus 13, so from the Old Testament, there's laws that Moses wrote out for the people as they were wandering in the wilderness, and there's laws about diseases like leprosy, and if you are in some way healed of leprosy, 
you have to go show yourself to the priests, and they will offer, there will be some sacrifices offered for your cleansing. This doesn't mean they're healing you. It means you have been healed, and we are offering a sacrifice, and we are ceremonially cleansing you so you can be brought back into the community. So when Jesus tells him to go show yourself to the priest, he's not saying so that you can be healed. He's saying, and this is going to get you back in normal society. You're going to be allowed back in, and it'll be assigned to them. Because the laws were written 1,500 years before this. And I bet in 1,500 years they hadn't seen a miraculous healing of leprosy. So when this guy shows up to the priest and said, this guy touched me and now I am miraculously healed and let's, have a sac- let's do the sacrifice thing, those priests may have thought, man, maybe God is among us. Like this is a powerful, incredible thing. So the guy goes and shows himself to the priest. And he is made whole again. He's, he's not just healed of the physical thing. There's something deeper going on. And he's healed uh, um, emotionally and socially. And, and he has an economic opportunity again. He's part of the community again. And it's, it's a full restoration of, of, this, of this person. Um, the marginalized that Jesus said he was here to help the oppressed and the hurting and the marginalized and the poor and the sick and the downtrodden. This guy is that. And Jesus has restored him uh, completely. It's, and it's powerful. Well, news spreads. Either this guy runs his mouth to someone other than the priest or other people kind of see it. News spreads. And once again, you see Jesus withdrawing. The more pressure is on, the more crowds that want to be near him, he has to get up really early. It's like having toddlers. You want to get anything done, you get up before they do. And you go off and, you, and, and he gets quiet and he gets alone and, and away from them. He withdraws. And I, and I just thought that's weird because it's like, if he's going to heal people, why not just stay in one place and heal everybody? Like, they'll come to him, they'll find him. Because, you know, isn't that what you and I would do? Like, if you had some power to heal people, wouldn't you just, like, set up shop in Carytown and be like, everybody come to me, I'll just touch you and I'm going to fix this and we're going to fix this. And everybody will love you. Like, it'll be amazing. Everybody would come from all over. Well, he's not here for that. That's the hard thing for us to understand. We think, oh, well, he's here to make me feel better, and everybody feels bad because they're sick. And he's, no, he's not, he didn't come to earth to heal everybody's physical thing. Um, and, and sometimes he doesn't heal our physical thing, right? He does, he does heal, but he, he did not, that's not what he's there for. That's not his mission, is to just, because there's no end to that, right? That, that doesn't last. As soon as he's gone, that, that's gone, right? There's, there's something else, there's a greater mission that he's here for. Which gets us to the second, second account that I want to read to you of, of what happens next. Luke 5, starting with verse 17. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. That's like, Jerusalem's like 90 miles away, so he, this is a crowd. Like, people are starting to hear about him and, and show up to see this weird country preacher up in the north. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? 
Which, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven you or to say rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. I love this scene, Jesus' teaching, and anytime you hear Pharisees and teachers of the law, you're talking about the most religious people of the day. The very, you know, can be very uptight, um, good, like, they'd be very good moral people, but maybe, like, judgy, that kind of thing. So he's sitting with them, and he's in a house, and houses are not very big, so there's only a limit to the number of people who get close to him. And there's a group of guys, there's a guy who's paralyzed, and that's bad, but what this guy has is a good group of friends. And he's got a couple guys who are like, let's get him before Jesus. We hear Jesus can heal people. Maybe he can heal our friend. And so they want to get close to him, but they can't get close because Jesus is in this house. And so they go up on the roof. There would have been a ladder up onto the roof uh, in that day, and even in today in the Middle East a lot. Um, a rooftop is a very common thing. A lot of, you'd hang out there. There's a lot of things you'd do out there. And so that's a very common thing. So this house would have a roof on it, and they would go up there. And while they were up there, one of the guys is like, yo, let's... You, and you can just picture a group of guys trying to figure it out, like, well, okay, we're close, but he's, like, down there. And one guy was like, yo, let's just, like, cut a hole in the roof, and then we'll, like, get some string on his mat, and we can, like, lower him down. And he'll go, like, right down in there, like, right next to Jesus. It'll be amazing. That was a pretty good plan. I, I hope somebody in the group was like, I don't think that's a good idea to cut the guy's roof, like... Yeah, I hope there's like one reasonable dude in there that was like, this is a terrible idea, you know? There's probably one guy who was like worried about insurance and stuff like that. And like, yeah, you're going to cut the guy's roof. And I don't think that counts as an act of God under insurance. Like you're literally cutting the guy's roof. That's not good, you know? So they, they lower him down. And, um, and, and this guy, you can imagine the scene, like Jesus is teaching. And then suddenly a, a skylight forms in the roof, you know? And he's just like, uh... Hold on. I mean, that's, that's really distracting, right? Like, that's, that's, that's a problem. The skylight starts to form, sun shining, like, what are we doing? And this guy comes down, lowered in front of Jesus, and then on the ground, you're like, okay, well, this is a, a thing. And, and, and all your most judgmental people are around. Probably they're thinking that guy's paralyzed because of something he did or something his parents did. Like, he, he deserves to be that way, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and he doesn't say to him, get up, you're fine, or I've healed you, boom, or, or even touch him like he did with the leper, or anything like a rebuke the paralysis, or anything like that. He says to him, man, your, son, your, your sins are forgiven you. Now, that's a really odd thing to say, isn't it? You, th- this guy comes down, and, and the thing you think to say is your sins are forgiven you, and you say that in front of all these religious people. Uh, that's an odd thing to say, and they didn't think it was odd the people hearing it, they thought it was really blasphemous because they were picking up on something that we might not pick up on as, as, as we read it. Um, the way they interpreted that is, who does he think he is? Who, do, who, who, who are you, man? How can you just sit there and say, uh, you, you, your sins are forgiven you? How, how do you get away with that? And this is exactly what, um, this is exactly what Jesus says to the, to the guy, they're, and they're probably thinking, man, only God can forgive sins. Who is this, this guy who thinks he can do that? Um, think of it this way. If you, 
if you need forgiveness, you need it from the one you've offended. So if you were to punch someone, and then you turn to me and you go, will you forgive me? Like, I, I can't. Like, I didn't do it. Like, I'm out of this story. You have an offense against that person, and if you want forgiveness, you need to ask them and say, like, hey, will you forgive me? I'm sorry I hit you or whatever. But you can't ask me. I'm a third party to this. So Jesus shows up, and this guy has not sinned against Jesus. Maybe he has sins against other people, and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. What's going on there? Well, there's, there's a deeper thing going on here that the Pharisees are picking up on, and that's whenever you sin against someone, you are also sinning against God. So if you punch someone, you're hurting them, and there's something between you, but you've also hurt God's child. It, uh, the closest thing I could think of is if you hurt my kids, you also hurt me. Right? There's a connection there that you can't just easily break. And so when we sin against ourselves, against other people, when we, when we break, the, break God's standards, when we, when we do these things that are wrong, we're not just hurting another person, we're, we're, we're hurting God or we're making this barrier. And so when Jesus offers forgiveness, he's saying, basically, I, I'm God. Like I can, and this is why they think he's blaspheming. They know what he's saying. He's saying, I have the power to forgive sins. It's, it's, it's an incredible thing that, that he shows up saying, basically, God is among you. That all of your sins against another person are ultimately sins against me, is what he's saying. When you, when you trample someone, that is my creation that you are trampling. It's an unbelievable claim that he makes. And it's probably not what they were looking for. The guys who lowered him down, down the roof, they were probably sitting there going, Forgive his sins? That's not what we came here for. We came here because you have magic healing power. Like, cool, you forgive his sins. We were mostly focused on the paralysis. If you could just fix that, you can do the sin stuff later, whatever, whatever you're talking about there, but could you just make this guy not paralyzed? And Jesus is basically saying physical ailments are not your real problem. They're a problem, sure. But your fundamental problem and my fundamental problem is that we sin and there's a barrier between us and God. There's sin on our ledger, there's guilt on our conscience, and there's shame that comes with that. Uh, now, I understand as, as a church, right, when we, when we come in here on a, on a Sunday, like, we all walk in with problems that are presenting us right now. You might have a, a financial problem. You got no money and mo problems, right? Like you might, you might have a financial situation. You're like, man, there's like more, there's more outgoing than there is incoming. This is a problem, right? You may have that. You may have a relationship problem. She ain't having it. You know, he's frustrated with me. Like you may have those kind of problems. You may have uh, a, a work problem, you know, late night, come home, work sucks, I know, like, you, that you may be there right now and go, man, I got, I got all these issues. And those are, those are real problems, no doubt. But underneath, at the root, uh, under, the, uh, under all of that stuff in your heart, you have a sin problem, you have a, a brokenness problem. Um, and Jesus is saying, first, we have to deal with, with that. It seems odd, but I think this is just another illustration of how we typically try to treat the symptoms and not the root of the issue. 
And so if, if given the choice, we would come to Jesus and ask him to handle a lot of our outward symptoms and not change our hearts. Henry David Thoreau said, for every thousand hacking at the leaves of evil, there is one striking at the root. And Jesus is that one who looks at the presenting stuff, who looks at the financial brokenness and the relationship and the hurt and the sin and the pain and all of the things that we're dealing with and the physical ailments and all of that. He looks at the, all of those things as the leaves and he goes right for the root and, and, and the heart. Jesus could heal that guy and, and, and that would be awesome. If all he did was just say, all right, you're no longer paralyzed, boom, Go. That's fine, except that guy would get up and walk out, and eventually he's going to be mean to his girlfriend. And eventually he's going to cheat the tax collector. And eventually he's going to gossip about a coworker. And he's still got problems that are in here that no paralysis could affect and no healing could fix. So he needed something deeper. Jesus heals the man's legs, but really deals with the man's heart. And he offers the man forgiveness, which is the very thing that you and I need. I think this is one of the most powerful things about following Jesus and about Christianity in general. Everyone in the world has an opinion about what is wrong with the world. Lack of education, poverty, uh, desire, sin, um, you know, anger, whatever, not enough kindness in the world. We all have, from whatever worldview, we all have this idea of something's wrong in the world. And, and in Christianity, they go, no, it's the, the, the line of human evil was running straight through the human heart, Solzhenitsyn said. This is, this is who we are, and the, and the solution for that is to be forgiven by God and to be made right with God. And that is actually what God offers us. He offers to set us right before his heavenly Father. Now, all we can do in this is receive that. Is, and, 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 and really what we can do is forgive other people. What we can't do is forgive ourselves. And that's bad news because a lot of people want to forgive themselves. And I hear it all the time, right? We, we say, like, I'm just having a hard time forgiving myself. And, what, and I understand why we say that. What we're talking about is that we feel ashamed, and there's this deep sense in us that things are not right and, and I've blown it and I can never forgive myself for what I did because I've really done wrong. I, I understand why we feel that way and I've wrestled through that and, and with that myself. But I think the actual reason why you can't forgive yourself is because you're not meant to do that. That's not actually a thing the scripture ever calls us to do. We're called to do two things. Number one, receive God's forgiveness of us. And number two, extend that forgiveness to others. This is said by the Apostle Paul in his letter to the church at Ephesus, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Very cleanly, he says it this way. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. There's the, there's the pattern. God has forgiven you. You've been forgiven of much. Therefore, you should forgive others of, of much. We receive forgiveness from God. That doesn't mean we earn it. Paul also says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He doesn't wait for us to clean our act up before he saves us. He sees us in our broken, messed up state and says, I'm going to make it right for you. I'm going to save you. All he asks is that you exhibit some faith and reach out to him, repent of your sins, and get baptized into him. 
This is not earning God's forgiveness and, and your salvation. It is receiving what he has done for you and saying, I will accept it. The, the, way, the way we do this is we are baptized into him. Um, when, when Peter teaches the very first sermon in the New Testament, uh, in, the book of, in the book of Acts in the church, he, he, he challenges people and says, and they say, what are we supposed to do? And he says, repent and be baptized, and you receive the, the forgiveness of your sins and, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. So that forgiveness is connected to that baptism. So we ask people in this church, if you've not done this, to be baptized, not as an infant where you weren't asking for forgiveness of your sins, but as someone who's cognizant of sin and going like, I need to ask Jesus to save me and wash me clean. And so we ask people to be baptized, and we do that. We had someone baptized on Easter. We had a couple people baptized last week. Uh, we made a video of that. Not everybody was able to be there. We had a good celebration uh, after church last Sunday. I want you to check out this video of baptisms from the last couple weeks. So uh, that's, uh, just wanted you to see those to be able to celebrate with us of t- people making a commitment and saying, I'm going to receive the forgiveness of God. Not that I've earned it, not that I'm super special or whatever, but it is a, is a posture of, of humility and saying, God is good and, he, and I'm going to make him the leader of my life. We're going to have another baptism today after service. So if you want to join us, go down to 2810 about... 20 minutes after we're done with the service, we'll let uh, 810 kids kind of wrap up there, and then we'll go in there and, and baptize someone else in the, in the depot down there. You're welcome to join us. If you've not been baptized, uh, this is an opportunity, and say, hey, come, come forward. When we have prayer, t- uh, prayer at the end of the service, maybe come forward and say, hey, I'm interested in getting baptized. We can, we can work it out even today, even if you're not dressed for it, we'll, we'll figure it out. So, um, you know, let's, let's have that Let's have that conversation to, to receive God's forgiveness because that is what he offers. Um, and also, if you want, you can write on your Try 5 card that you're interested in getting baptized, and then we will reach out to you and sit down and have a conversation, and we can make that happen soon. It's becoming uh, baptized people in the James River weather, so we can do that too if, if we need to. Um, so we... Uh, we receive God's forgiveness. And then the other piece of that is if we have been forgiven and we've been baptized, we've given our lives to Christ, our role then is to extend forgiveness to other people. And this is really hard. I don't want to make, make light of this. It is not easy to extend that to other people because people have done us wrong. And, and sometimes it feels like when we forgive someone, we are letting them off the hook for what they did. And I get that. Uh, writer Lewis Smedes, if you really want to deep dive into forgiveness, look up anything Lewis Smedes has written. He says this, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. You're on the hook, not them. You're the one who will grow bitter from lack of forgiveness. So we must forgive others as Christ has forgiven us. This doesn't excuse what was done. You can't excuse behavior and say, oh, let's just pretend that never happened. No, it happened. We have to be honest about it. Again, Lewis Smead says this, when we forgive evil, we do not excuse it. We do not tolerate it. We do not smother it. We look the evil full in the face Call it what it is, let its horror shock and stun and enrage us, and only then do we forgive it. I actually think that's why forgiveness is so hard. 
because we don't want to look the evil in the face again. We don't want to be shocked and horrified and enraged because things have happened. And, and we, don't want, we, don't want to, we don't want to get near to that again. We're afraid it's going to bring a closeness, a proximity to it that we don't want. I understand that. But we have to remember, it's, it, we're the prisoner here when we, when we don't forgive others. You see, when you think about it that way, you realize how hard forgiveness is. And I think we, that should point us to Jesus because he had to forgive all of our sins. And that's not nothing. That costs. In, in, in Jesus' case, he pays everything he can. He pays it all for us to be forgiven. He, um, he dies on a cross, is, is murdered publicly for our sins. And in that, all the sins of humanity were placed on him. And he becomes a sacrifice for those so that we can be forgiven and so that we can be made right. You can't forgive, you can't just wipe away great evil easily. Like something dies when evil is defeated. And in this case, Jesus died for our sins. I mean, even the paralyzed man that Jesus forgave, um, Jesus was mobile and he was made immobile by hanging on a cross so that this man who was immobile could be made mobile and have his sins forgiven. Scripture says Christ knew no sin, but he took ours.